heard the unpleasant rumours and declined to treat any further. It was in this state of things that my landlady, who at the time kept a boarding house in Bleecker Street, and who wished to move further uptown, conceived the bold idea of renting number 126th Street. Happening to have in her house a rather plucky and philosophical set of boarders, she laid her scheme before us, stating candidly everything she had heard respecting the ghostly qualities of the establishment to which she wished to remove us. With the exception of two timid persons, a sea captain and a returned Californian, who immediately gave notice that they would leave, all of Mrs. Moffat's guests declared that they would accompany her in her chivalric incursion into the abode of spirits. Our removal was effected in the month of May, and we were charmed with our new residence. The portion of 26th Street where our house is situated, between 7th and 8th Avenues, is one of the pleasantest localities in New York. The gardens back of the houses, running down nearly to the Hudson, form in the summertime a perfect avenue of verdure. The air is pure and invigorating, sweeping as it does straight across the river from the Weekhawken Heights, and even the ragged garden which surrounded the house, although displaying on washing days rather too much clothesline, still gave us a piece of greensward to look at, and a cool retreat in the summer evenings, where we smoked our cigars in the dusk and watched the fireflies flashing their dark lanterns in the long grass. Of course, we had no sooner established ourselves at number one than we began to expect ghosts. We absolutely awaited their advent with eagerness. Our dinner conversation was supernatural. One of the boarders who had purchased Mrs. Crow's Night Side of Nature for his own private delectation was regarded as a public enemy by the entire household for not having bought twenty copies. The man led a life of supreme wretchedness while he was reading this volume. A system of espionage was established, of which he was the victim. If he incautiously laid the book down for an instant and left the room, it was immediately seized and read aloud in secret places to a select few. I found myself a person of immense importance, it having leaked out that I was tolerably well-versed in the history of supernaturalism, and had once written a story the foundation of which was a ghost. If a table or a wainscot panel happened to warp when we were assembled in the large dining-room, there was an instant silence, and everyone was prepared for an immediate clanking of chains and a spectral form. After a month of psychological excitement, it was with the utmost dissatisfaction that we were forced to acknowledge that nothing in the remotest degree approaching the supernatural had manifested itself. Once the black butler asseverated that his candle had been blown out by some invisible agency whilst he was undressing himself for the night, but... As I had more than once discovered this coloured gentleman in a condition when one candle must have appeared to him like two, thought it possible by going a step further in his potations, he might have reversed this phenomenon and seen no candle at all where he ought to have beheld one. Things were in this state 
when an accident took place so awful and inexplicable in its character that my reason fairly reels at the bare memory of the occurrence. It was the 10th of July. After dinner was over, I repaired with my friend Dr. Hammond to the garden to smoke my evening pipe. Independent of certain mental sympathies which existed between the doctor and myself, we were linked together by a vice. We both smoked opium. We knew each other's secret and respected it. We enjoyed together that wonderful expansion of thought, that marvellous intensifying of the perceptive faculties, that boundless feeling of existence when we seem to have points of contact with the whole universe. In short,